I was just watching the Marvel TV show Loki the other day, and I was reflecting that there is a lot of similarity with George Orwell's 1984. There's an omniscient central power, free will is a crime, government authority is tending to a sacred timeline, and the lead character is caught and tortured in a special room. It's basically just missing jet skis. And every time 1984 is discussed, the polar opposite, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, who was coincidentally George Orwell's teacher, is also brought up. Usually the conclusion by intellectuals is that Brave New World is more predictive of the society that we live in today because it's more evocative of the moral panics that we consider in our luxurious middle-class lifestyles. But George Orwell wrote about how authorities use and abuse power and media and memory and how the most powerful of us have always sought to rewrite time itself in order to control their destiny. Here's a clip from the Intelligence Squared podcast, which hosts Oxford-style debates on important topics like this, and they have a dramatization of 1984, which I thought particularly entertaining. The second thing that Orwell understood and that he projects forward to us through past all of the specific details of 1984, the second thing he understood was the power of hatred and, more subtly, even more potently, the way that the power of hatred depends on the manipulation of memory. We always have to have another to hate, whether it's uh, East Asia, Eurasia, Islam, the bad hombres coming across from Mexico. It's essential to the authoritarian imagination that everyone, those proles, those epsilons of whom Will speaks, are focused on the threatening other and not on the powers that be, not on the structure of power. And that's only possible, Orwell understood, if the past itself becomes meaningless. We can only constantly move the object of our rage and our fear effectively if we no longer have a regular and reliable grasp on our own history. At one moment in 1984, you'll recall, Winston is sure that he's seen one potent piece of newspaper that has a photograph of three purged inner party members who are now non-persons, now never existed at all. And he's convinced that if he can only share this information, this simple fact that there was a past, things actually happened in one way and not in any way that authority decrees, if he can hold on to that, then he can hold on to his sanity and to his sense of his inner self. But even with his beloved Julia, the woman for whom he has risked everything, he can't convey how essential it is to have a secure grasp of what happened once. Sometimes he talked to her of the records department and the impudent forgeries that he committed there. Such things did not appear to horrify her. She did not feel the abyss opening beneath her feet at the thought of lies becoming truths. He told her the story of Jones, Aronson and Rutherford and the momentous slip of paper which he had once held between his fingers. It did not make much impression on her. At first, indeed, she failed to grasp the point of the story. Were they friends of yours? She said. No, I never knew them. They were inner party members. Besides, they were far older men than I was. They belonged to the old days, before the revolution. I barely knew them by sight. 
Then what was there to worry about? People are being killed off all the time, aren't they? He tried to make her understand. This was an exceptional case. It wasn't just a question of somebody being killed. Do you realise that the past, starting from yesterday, has been actually abolished? If it survives anywhere, it's in a few solid objects with no words attached to them, like that lump of glass there. Already we know almost literally nothing about the revolution and the years before the revolution. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street and building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. I know, of course, that the past is falsified, but it would never be possible for me to prove it, even when I did the falsification myself. After the thing is done, no evidence ever remains. The only evidence is inside my own mind. And I don't know with any certainty that any other human being shares my memories. Just in that one instance, in my whole life, I did possess actual concrete evidence after the event, years after it. And what good was that? It was no good, because I threw it away a few minutes later. But if the same thing happened today, I should keep it. Well, I wouldn't, said Julia. I'm quite ready to take risks, but only for something worthwhile, not bits of old newspaper. What could you have done with it, even if you had kept it? Not much, perhaps. But it was evidence. It might have planted a few doubts here and there, supposing that I dared to show it to anybody. I don't imagine that we can alter anything in our own lifetime. But one can imagine little knots of resistance springing up here and there. Small groups of people banding themselves together and gradually growing. And even leaving a few records behind so that the next generations can carry on where we leave off. I'm not interested in the next generation, dear. I'm interested in us. You're only a rebel from the waist downwards. Think of how the wave of autocracy, the wave of renewed authoritarianism that's sweeping through the world right now, how it reasons. Think about how fragile our grasp on the past becomes. In France, the country where I lived for many years, the National Front goes about making 1940 hard to recuperate in its reality. Uh, in Russia, we've seen how Putinism makes the actuality of the hundred years between the revolution and today always um, up in the air. Again, loses its essential hold on what really happened. In our own country, in the United States of America, things that happened a mere eight months ago, the number of people who were at Trump's inauguration, the number of votes cast for Hillary Clinton or for Trump are thrown up in the air and we're told that they're undecidable. We're told that there are two sides to a story in which, in reality, there is only one side, but our ability to grasp and assert that truth is as fragile as Winston's piece of newspaper with the three inner party members on it. I think this theme is something that people miss when we discuss how Brave New World is more reflective of society than the 1984, and that's because we don't live in the world of 1984 on a day-to-day -day basis, but in the long arc of history, 1984 is absolutely descriptive. And in fact, I think probably the best indication 
of this comparison is what Aldous Huxley himself thought of 1984. On 21st of December 1949, Huxley wrote to George Orwell, congratulating him on how fine and how profoundly important the book is. He predicted, and I quote, Within the next generation, I believe the world's leaders will discover that infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons, and that the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging them and kicking them into obedience, 